Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. In chapter 16, John chapter 16. What comes to your mind when I mention the names of these people? Casey Anthony, Robert Blake, and O.J. Simpson. These are all famous court cases where the jury found them not guilty when the rest of the world thought they were in fact guilty of the crime that they committed. If you remember back in 2008, Casey Anthony was the young single mom who was accused of killing her two-year-old daughter. Now, there was mounting evidence to show her guilt, and the entire world thought she was guilty, but the jury found her not guilty. I don't need to say much about O.J., because as a matter of fact, I'm sick of hearing about O.J., but I haven't met one person today who thinks he's actually innocent, Let's leave it there. Uh, Robert Blake, maybe you don't know who Robert Blake was. He was the 70s actor of the TV show Beretta. He hired some hitmen to go kill his wife back in 2001. He was found not guilty by the jury, but was later found guilty in civil court and was ordered to pay his wife's grown children $30 million, and he filed for bankruptcy. Now, even with the best of prosecuting attorneys, sometimes juries get it wrong. Now, how does the jury system work in our country? You are innocent until what? Proven guilty, which is a good thing. So the burden of proof is on the prosecuting attorney to mount evidence upon evidence, eyewitness upon eyewitness, to thus prove guilt. To show beyond a shadow of a doubt to a jury that the person, in fact, did commit the crime. And and we can think of some famous prosecuting attorneys throughout history. Marsha Clark, the infamous prosecuting attorney in the O.J. Simpson case. She made that fatal mistake by having O.J. try on the glove. You know what happened as a result of that. You see, the burden of proof is on the prosecuting attorney to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt innocent until proven guilty. Now, why do I bring up juries and verdicts and prosecuting attorneys and all this courtroom imagery? Because Jesus clearly tells us this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Remember last week we started this little mini sermon series in the Gospel of John as we're trekking through about the role of the Holy Spirit. And and Kayla actually gave testimony to what we talked about last week. Remember last week? The whole point was the Holy Spirit will give you the ability, the power, the boldness to testify in those moments. And so the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to testify boldly to the gospel, gospel, especially in the midst of a hostile culture. And so today, it's interesting. This is the only passage of Scripture where the Holy Spirit is said to do something in the world. 
It's not what he does in us as believers. It's what he does in the world. And so the issue this morning is this whole idea of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. So let's pick up where we left off last week. John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The main point of this passage is not that hard to figure out. It's very simple. It's simply this. The Holy Spirit convicts a lost world of its overwhelming sin. The Holy Spirit convicts a lost world of its overwhelming sin. Now, let's just remember the context. We've been in John 14, 15, and 16 for many months now. These are just the hours before Jesus is going to the cross. And numerous times, Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. And here he says it again. I'm leaving you. I'm going away. But it's, it's to your advantage I go away. It's, it's to your benefit I go away. Because when I go away, when I die on the cross, and when I'm buried, and when I rise again, and when I ascend back up to heaven, I'm going to send you not just help, but a divine person, the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do when he comes? Jesus is very specific here. The Holy Spirit will come like a prosecuting attorney. He's going to come and convict the world of its overwhelming sin. We see this in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world. It's an interesting word, the word convict. It does come from the courtroom. It does come from the legal realm. It means to bring forth compelling evidence. To show beyond a shadow of a doubt. It means to expose guilt. Not just to expose guilt, but to, to bring in evidence to actually prove that guilt. It means to bring shame, actually. John 3.20 says this, Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings people to the light. He exposes sin. He convicts. Now, I like the way one older commentator put this. One commentator put it well. He says, it means forcing a person to condemn himself after a scrutiny in the court of conscience. Now, now, now what does that mean? It means that a, a lost person is so overwhelmed with the evidence in the court of their conscience, it keeps piling upon them, the piling upon them that they, they just, that they're overwhelmed by it. You've seen those courtroom scenes, haven't you, on television and movies? Where you've got the, the, the defendants on trial and the prosecuting attorneys mounting evidence upon evidence and he's backing him in a corner and finally what does the person do? They blurt out, I did it! I ordered the code red. 
or whatever it was. You, don't, you can't handle the truth. You know? It's one of those things where they just blurt it out because there's so much pressure coming. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He puts on the pressure. Now, Jesus here gives us a triad or three specific things, three specific ways in which the Holy Spirit comes as this prosecuting attorney. Now, in studying this, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but I think that it's progressive. And what I mean by that is I think the reason Jesus puts it in the order that he puts it is because I think this is the way that a person comes to understand the gospel. I think there's a specific order or progression to how the Holy Spirit does this. Now, this is how the Holy Spirit operates in the world. He convicts the world of sin. So, if anybody's going to be converted to Christ, if anybody's going to become a Christian, they have to undergo this conviction. They have to experience this conviction of sin. Now, there are those among God's people who, when they are confronted with their sin by the Holy Spirit, they will melt under that sin and they will come to faith. Jesus says this in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There there are going to be those that will come to Jesus when they're under conviction, but there will be others that won't come to Jesus. They'll be maybe bothered by their sin, but they're never going to turn from that sin. They're never going to come in rebellion. This is reminding me of what Jesus said to the Pharisees back in John chapter 10, 25 through 26. Jesus answered them, I tell you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. So when you present the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes in conviction, there are going to be those that are melted by that, and there's going to be those that are rejected by that. Think about the sun for a moment. If you have a piece of ice and you have a piece of clay, what's going to happen to the ice when the sun beats down upon it? It's going to melt. When you have a piece of clay, what's going to happen when the sun melts down upon it? It's going to harden. Same clay. I mean, same sun. So the same message of the gospel is going to melt some people the same message is going to harden others. And so here's the thing. Before a person can truly understand salvation, they have to understand bad news before they can understand good news. That's just the way the Bible sets it up. You and I, lost people, anybody needs to understand the bad news before they can truly understand the good news. And so let's explore these three ways that the Holy Spirit convicts. Three ways the Holy Spirit comes as a prosecuting attorney and exposes guilt. Here's the first. First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts lost people that they are guilty sinners by nature. Look at verse 9. Concerning sin, this is the first way he does it. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Sin. Now, one of the chief sins in the Gospel of John is not believing in Jesus. Failure to believe in Jesus is a major sin in the Gospel of John. It's already been addressed in John 3, 18. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you don't believe, you're condemned. What happens if you die in your sins? What happens if you die without belief in Jesus? The Bible says you're condemned. Further on down that passage of Scripture, John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So just in two short passages of Scripture, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're under condemnation and God's wrath remains upon you. That is guilt. You stand guilty. And you see, that's where conviction's got to start. It's got to start with you understanding that, number one, you are a sinner and you are guilty before God. And that your sin is idolatry and rebellion against a holy God. Really what sin is, it means that you would prefer to worship yourself rather than worship God. Have you ever thought about that? That's really what sin is at the bottom line. You would rather worship yourself than worship God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. Romans 1 says they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've exchanged the glory of God for, created, for, for worshiping created things. Sin at its core is idolatry where you say, I would rather worship myself than worship God. And so you are guilty, condemned, sinful. So what do sinners first need to understand when this conviction comes? What do they need to admit? They need to first understand, I'm a guilty sinner. I'm condemned. I'm under God's wrath. I am personally a sinner and I need to repent because if I die in my sins, I will stand guilty. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, every single lost person is enslaved by sin. And they need to recognize that. They need to have their eyes open to that so that the son can set them free indeed. Now, what is the temptation when you are confronted with sin? When, when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you of sin, what is your inborn temptation to begin to do? You begin to rationalize it and say what? I'm not that bad. As a matter of fact, God, let me show you my resume. I, I've gone to church the past three weeks in a row. That's really good. I, I gave some money in the offering plate. That's really good. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. He's really bad. I'm pretty good. God, look at my resume. I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. What do you tend to do? You tend to boost up your works to try to prove to the prosecuting attorney, hey, look at the evidence, Holy Spirit. I'm pretty good. Which leads to the second way that the Holy Spirit convicts you. Number one, he convicts you of your guilt. You are a sinner. But look at the second thing. Second, the Holy Spirit convicts lost people that they cannot trust in their own righteousness to save them. Look at the second thing there. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father righteousness, being good. What does the Old Testament book of Isaiah say about being good? Isaiah 64, 6 says this, We have all become like one who's unclean. 
All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, I cannot go into detail about the Hebrew. It's too graphic in a public worship service. When it talks about a polluted garment, the original language is talking about a menstrual cloth. Think about that for a moment. It's staggering because it goes against what we automatically think about righteousness. What do we think about righteousness? All these good things I'm doing, they're good. God must accept me. I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm spiritually obeying the Ten Commandments. I'm being religious. I'm putting forth all these these good works. I'm keeping my nose clean. I'm I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not smoking or chewing or drinking or going with girls that do. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a good person. I'm a good, red-blooded, American, northeastern Colorado. I'm good. And what does the Bible say? That's a polluted garment. That is offensive in God's sight. Remember the parable that Jesus tells about the the tax collector and the Pharisee? In Luke chapter 18, he starts that parable by saying, Jesus told this parable about those who trusted in their own righteousness. Are you trusting in your own goodness, your own righteousness? It's a polluted garment. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from being good, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Not something you can produce in your own power, but something that comes from outside of you that God has to give you as a gift. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you, He number one says, you're guilty. But number two, when you try to play the whole I'm good card, The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to convict you of righteousness and show you that your righteousness is like a filthy rag. You can't live up to God's standard. You can't plead your resume. You can't do enough good. Your righteousness stinks in God's sight, no matter how good you think you are. So that's the progression. You've got to first see that you're guilty, and then you've got to see that even if you try to be good, you're still guilty and it's not good enough. And then there's the third progression here. There's a third thing that the Holy Spirit does. Notice what it says. He will Verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Here's the third, and judgment. You go down to verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So here's the third way the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit, thirdly, convicts lost people that there is certain judgment to come. Number one, you're a guilty sinner. Number two, if you try to appeal to your goodness, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. And number three, there's judgment. There's judgment coming. Now he talks here about Satan, the ruler of this world being judged. Jesus has already mentioned this back in John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In 1 John 3, 8, it says this about 
Satan. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, Jesus here says the ruler of the world is judged. Right now, Satan has freedom by God to roam around like a roaring lion. But one day, on that final day, what is Satan's fate? He will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan will be judged. On that final day, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. But do you know something? Revelation says that there is a fate for all those who do not trust in Christ that includes that same lake of fire. The judgment. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's certain judgment to come. There's a lake of fire to come. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And right now, sinners are in bondage to Satan. So Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. He, Jesus, has delivered us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Three ways the Holy Spirit convicts. Number one, he begins by showing you your guilt. Number two, he begins to show you that even your righteousness, even the good things you try to do are filthy rags. Number three, there's certain judgment to come. The Holy Spirit does this in the hearts and minds of lost people. Anyone who's going to be saved must go through this experience. Now, I want to give you two examples from the Bible, powerful examples from the Bible, where we see the Holy Spirit bring conviction. The first is on the day of Pentecost. You remember the day of Pentecost? Tongues come as fire. They land on the disciples. Peter stands up. He preaches the first Christian sermon. He gets fiery. He looks right at those Jewish leaders and said, You crucified Jesus. Let's pick up the story at the end of Peter's sermon. Acts 2, 36-38. Peter's looking at these, these people that killed Jesus the Jewish people. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice they were cut to the heart. Their consciences had been pricked. This is the only time in the entire Bible this expression is used. They were cut to the heart. It literally means to be punctured by a spear. 
And that dagger went deep inside that heart. It pricked them. Homer, who wrote the Odyssey, the Iliad and the Odyssey, he used the same Greek word to talk about horses stomping the ground. I'm not a horse person. A lot of you are. But I assume when a horse is stomping the ground, it's not a good thing. He's agitated. He's irritated. You see, when when the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction, it sticks you in the heart. It pricks you in the heart. It gets you irritated. That's what's happening in that book of Acts. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5 For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Notice here in Acts, there is no altar call. Peter doesn't turn to John and say, Hey, let's dim the lights. He doesn't turn over to Matthew and say, get on the piano and let's play just as I am 18 times. Let's make sure we manipulate this crowd and make sure that they they get an emotional, visceral experience so that they can come forward at the altar. No, what happens? The people say to Peter, what should we do? They were under so much conviction, all they could do is cry out, what should we do? And what's Peter's answer to them? You need to repent. You need to repent right now. Now, in the original language, it means urgently. You repent right now. Repent. Because they were cut to the heart. Paul Washer, some of you listen to him. He's kind of a hard-hitting preacher. I don't listen to him a lot because he's kind of, ah, he's he's really strong. But one time I was listening to a sermon, and he had a good statement. He he says he, he often talks to people a lot about their Christianity. And he'll talk to a person and say, hey, are you a Christian? And they'll say, oh, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. He says, well, um, how well is your relationship with God? They'll say, oh, oh my relationship is great with God. And then I'll ask them this next question. How well is your relationship with sin? And they get a little quiet after that. Do you hate your sin? Do you want to get rid of your sin? You see, when Peter preached that message, the Holy Spirit came in power and cut them to the heart, to where they were laid bare, and the Holy Spirit really did those three things that, that Jesus said he did. He, he showed them their guilt. He showed them the, their lack of righteousness and showed them the judgment to come. And they said, what are, we, what are we to do? What should we do? Repent. So that's, that's illustration number one in the book of Acts. But there's another illustration. Paul describes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 what happens when a lost person comes into a Christian worship service. What should we expect to happen when a lost person comes into a worship service? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is is really among you. So, here's what happens, Paul says. Powerful preaching of the word. Holy Spirit's bringing conviction. A lost person, an outsider comes in, and they're convicted. They're accountable. And what does Paul say? The secrets of their heart are laid bare. That's what Ephesians says. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
The light bulb is turned on by the Holy Spirit. You are under extreme conviction. You are pricked to the heart. You're sweating bullets because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what does Paul say that person does? They fall on their face in an act of submission, in an act of humiliation, in an act of repentance. And on their back, when they're looking up, what do they say? God is truly here. That's conviction. That's repentance that's what I long to see every Sunday morning don't you long to see that that sinners are so laid bare by the gospel and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that they fall on their face and they cry out God's really here God is here among you now we need to remember something about the Holy Spirit you may ask the question Why don't we see this happen every week? Is the problem with the Holy Spirit? No, we need to understand something. The Holy Spirit convicts. But how He does it, and to what intensity He does it, and the manner in which He does it may be different from person to person. We often don't see how the Holy Spirit's working because how does the Holy Spirit work? He works sovereignly, He works supernaturally, and He works in the heart. Can I see any of your hearts here this morning? I may see outward visible expressions. You may be like, that. You may be like, I don't want to hear what He has to say. You may be on your phone like, okay, I'm trying to like, order my lunch menu before it's time. Or you may be weeping. I can see some outward visible manifestations, but I can't look at your heart. And here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. We've already seen it back in John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Spirit's sovereign in this. Now, some of you may be saying, Pastor Sean, nothing like that ever really happened to me. I mean, I wasn't zapped off my horse like Paul. I didn't cry these huge, big crocodile tears. I wasn't shaking or trembling. I don't know if I've ever come under that degree of conviction. Now, God is sovereign, and the Holy Spirit convicts, but He may do it differently. Some of you may have been under conviction like Paul. You were knocked off your horse. Others of you may have been like Lydia in the book of Acts. In Acts 16, 14... One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's all we get. We don't see anything in the text here that that Lydia broke down and cried, that she was under this really deep shaking conviction. It just said the Lord opened her heart. And what happened after the Lord opened her heart? You read the rest of it. She and her household were, were baptized. They came to faith. There's one thing that's consistent. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. For some of you, it may be very dramatic. For others of you, it may just be like, you know, one of these days it just clicked. Over time, you heard the gospel. Over time, you heard the gospel. One day, you woke up and it just clicked. I understand it now. Like the light bulb went on. Others of you, it may have been like a visceral, emotional travail that took a while for you to truly come to Christ. And some of you may not be able to explain fully what happened to you. And some of you may not even remember the timing of when it happened to you. 
But you do know this. You do know that there was a point in time, whether it was dramatic or whether it was just one of those days the light bulb came on. One thing was, was certain. You knew you were a sinner. You knew you were guilty before God. You knew there was certain judgment. And without Christ, you were dead. And so you reached out to Jesus in faith and repentance, and you came to him. For some of you, that may have been very painful and stinging and dramatic. For others of you, it may have just been, I finally realize it. But in both cases, it was the Holy Spirit that did that. No human person can produce that. Only the Holy Spirit brings that conviction for you to understand your need for the gospel. So, how do you respond to this? Well, if you're a believer, what do you do? You praise Jesus that he sent the Holy Spirit to do that to you. Do you realize you would never be a Christian if the Holy Spirit hadn't convicted you? You would never be a Christian if the Holy Spirit had not taken your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, if the Holy Spirit had not opened your eyes, if the Holy Spirit had not revealed to you your personal guilt before a holy God. You need to praise God that the Holy Spirit came to you in power and revealed that to you and that you're a Christian today. In other words, praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit in your life because without Him, you would not be a Christian. He convicted you of sin. Now, some of you here this morning may not be Christians yet. And I'm so glad that you're here. But you need to understand something. If you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit may be at this moment convicting you. You may be under deep conviction where you're understanding for the very first time, you know what? I am guilty. I'm I'm personally guilty. And man, I've been trying to play this resume card to God, showing Him all the good things I'm doing, and, and you're sitting there telling me that that's, a, that, that that's a polluted garment? And that there's impending judgment to come, there's hell to come, there's lake of fire? This is all starting to make sense. So my prayer for you this morning is that the Holy Spirit would sovereignly break down all of that resistance in your hearts. And in that rebellion, do a deep work of conviction where your eyes are open, it's exposed, you're laid bare. And would you fall on your face today and say, God is truly here. You see, right now in these moments, this is not the time to be taking notes. That's important to take notes. Some of you take notes when I preach. But do you realize in this moment, God is talking to us. And God speaks in the powerful preaching of His Word when the Holy Spirit comes and does a work. So believers, are you praying for lost people right now to be saved? Non-believers, are you under conviction in this moment right now where you're being laid bare? If you are, repent. Repent be broken over your sin, and turn to Jesus. And here's what you're going to find. If you are truly broken over your sin, if you truly repent over that sin, if you turn and you trust in Jesus Christ, guess what you will find? You will find a Savior with His arms open wide, ready to receive you into His family because He stands as an all-sufficient, powerful Savior who died on the cross, rose again, and is alive today. Jesus has never turned away anybody that's come to him in repentance and faith. And the Holy Spirit may be calling you this morning to give it up. You're under strong conviction and you need to come to Christ today. 
You need to bow that knee to Jesus today and say, I give up. I give up. I know I'm a sinner. I can't plead my resume before you, God, and I know there's hell coming. All I can do is cast myself at your mercy, Jesus. And when you cast yourself at the mercy of Jesus, you find him to be a sufficient Savior. You find him to be a powerful Savior. You find him to be a good Savior. You find him to be a forgiving Savior. So would you do that today? We may never have another moment as this. I don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to blow like the wind, but he may be blowing at this moment. At this time, would you respond in repentance and faith to the powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life this morning? Let me ask you to bow your heads. That does expose our guilt. And Jesus, you are very clear here as to the role of the Holy Spirit in convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful for your sovereign work of grace in bringing that conviction. I remember as an eight-year-old boy on the edge of my bed on a Sunday night after church with my parents in the room. Being under so strong a conviction that I was a sinner and needed Christ. Holy Spirit, thank you for that moment in time where you invaded my heart you opened my eyes and you showed me my need for Jesus. And Lord, we could probably give testimony here this morning of everybody in this room that's a believer and how you did that to them whether it was dramatic or whether it was just subtle, it's still your power that did it. And we are thankful for your convicting work. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction in lost people's hearts this morning? Will they leave this place being laid bare, their hearts exposed, knowing there's no other place they can go besides Christ and Christ alone? Thank you for the gospel. For it is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. Father, would everybody in this room be believing in Jesus and the gospel. It's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen.